Welcome to the Lead UP podcast. It is here where we speak to alumni from the University of Pretoria. In 2021, we had special focus on leadership stories, but uh, 2022, we turn it up a little bit. We're looking at success stories. Uh, for those that are joining us for the first time, the stories of our alumni will truly inspire you. And uh, also, again, testament and proof as to why the University of Pretoria is ranked in the top 1% globally. I'm your host, Lennox Masara, a broadcaster by day. Today, we're joined by a very special guest, uh, Nozipo Chabalala. She joins us today. She is the CEO of the Conversation Strategist, but uh, she's also perhaps might look familiar because she's worked previously at CNBC Africa, but she's very good with pen and paper. She's an award-winning journalist, so truly interesting. But uh, she's uh, also at the University of Pretoria, obtained a qualification in international relations and honors degree from our humanities faculty. I can confidently say that she is the best storyteller that you'll hear. She's been able to use that skill to work and collaborate with brands, big brands in the world, such as the Obama Foundation, the MasterCard Foundation, as well as the United Nations, amongst many others. I have the privilege of chatting to her today. And thank you for joining us today on the Lead UP podcast. Thank you so much. That's such a gracious introduction. Really appreciate it and really happy to be here. Wonderful. The conversation strategies. Let's start there. Because that, to me, got me thinking, what is that? What is a conversation <laughs> strategist? Yeah, it is, it's been the question of my life, I think, for the last couple of years. And the truth is that I had to come up with the name. I had to come up with the term because I realized that there wasn't a, a name for what I was doing in the world. I was transitioning out of broadcast where I was a presenter and an anchor and I'd begun moderating. And increasingly, my clients were calling me and saying, this is our strategy. Um, can you help us think through how we could use conversation and conversation modalities to execute against that strategy and to make it come alive? And I got increasingly my clients were calling me in very much early in the process of producing conversations. So for many people um, who do know me, they might see me uh, at the end where I'm on stage and I'm sort of moderating a presidential uh, panel or something like that. But the journey with the client starts right at the beginning when they're thinking about how do we land uh, this strategic perspective and how do we use conversation to do that? And so I, I had I went through an existential crisis of feeling like I don't know what I'm doing in the world. And it was a, it was a good crisis because it got me to ask really difficult questions of myself, which landed me at the point of saying, actually, I'm in the business of using the science and art of conversation to unlock strategy. And that's why I self-identify as a conversation strategist. And that's why my business is also called The Conversation Strategist. That's so interesting because you had to deal with those, I guess, those emotions at the time as you, as you described them. What allowed you to embrace that time? Because a lot of us perhaps go through moments where we're like, what am I actually doing? But for some reason, you were able to embrace that. What allowed you to do that? I think I surrounded myself with people that I trusted and soundboarded. And I remember one particular uh, conversation where I was saying to this friend of mine, look, um, I've got this anxiety. I'm feeling like um, I'm not doing the thing that I was destined to do, um, but I've got a great job. I'm on television. I'm, yeah. I'm reaching millions of Africans uh, daily. I'm broadcasting across m multiple countries. Um, why on earth would I now leave all of that to go start something that actually quite doesn't even exist right now? And I remember he paused and he said to me, can you name your fears? And I said, what? He said, name your fears. I said, well, in this particular instance, I suppose my fear is December, January and February and April. 
And he said, uh, why? And I said, well, th that's the time that I don't think any of my clients or potential clients are going to be calling me because the, the conversational world closes down during that time. And in April, there's so many holidays that no, not many clients want to be engaged in trying to draw in audiences. And then he said to me, well, if you can name your fears, can you not solve for them? I said, well, the best case scenario is that I do so well in my business that I don't have to work in December, January and February, and I don't have to work in April at all. And he said, well, that's the goal. And that was the, the conversation that released me. And I literally resigned. I, uh, I moved from where I was staying because I needed to make sure that financially I could withstand the next phase that I was going to. So I needed to downgrade my life. Um, I actually was even about to downgrade my car and, and things just kind of worked out that I didn't. But I needed to make that transition and I did. But it took some hard conversations, but also good questions from people around me that they were playing back to me to help me make the breakthrough for myself. Yeah, those months sound turbulent, but they did bring a lot of definition and meaning. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, what would you say is, how have you defined success? Mm, I love that question because I think there was a time in my life where I was um, in pursuit of success. I don't pursue success. I pursue significance. Um, and the difference for me is that um, success is all about um, you and your achievements. And significance is about going to bed at the end of every day and people say, because Nozi lived, this is how my life has changed. So that's my metric. That's my measure of success. How significant am I in the lives of others? Um, I have let go of the desire to be the best in the world at what I do. What I'm all about right now is about how do I be the best for the world? I don't chase success. I don't look for success. I think maybe I was really, really lucky that I was successful at a relatively young age and it's given me the freedom to say, actually, what happens beyond success? And I think after success is significance and that's, that's the space that I'm playing in now. I want to be a significant person um, whose life mattered not only for myself and my own achievement, but whose, whose life mattered in my community, whose life mattered in my country, whose life mattered for the continent, and whose life mattered for the world. Speaking of significance, interesting that uh, you had a significant moment not so long ago, a couple of months ago. The president applauded your work. He says that uh, you blew him away. Uh, what did that feel like? Giddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really, really felt, um, it, it, there's something special about, about being seen. Um, and, you know, as I was saying to you, the work that I do, I started calling myself a conversation strategist before. I never heard of it. You know, when I came to study at, at Tux, when I opened the prospectus uh, to choose what I was going to study, conversation strategy was not one of the things that were there. So it's been a very scary um, journey of um, living into this identity and understanding that the, everyone is looking at me to role model this thing into existence. And to be able to have a moment where your leader uh, sees you like that and sees you publicly and acknowledges you really is super special. And it's not so much about, um, for me, that moment was like the, the, the president understands the work that I do because in this experience, he's felt the, the impact of what real conversation strategy can do. Yeah, that's so powerful. And uh, also it got me thinking at length about just how your journey's evolved as well. Because 
I want to know as to how you view success, because I imagine when you're still completing your studies, it was a significant moment when you graduated, a significant, many significant moments you've had as well. But more so as to how has success grown from mm. there? Do you view it in the same way or do you think it sort of changes as it goes? I think we all um, evolve over time as, as we grow. Um, and I think the circumstances that we're born into determine what we define as success. I think a lot of us, myself included, in the earlier years, define success as what does it lo look like to break through the circumstance that I'm in now? So my story is not special. I was born in the 80s, very poor family, uneducated parents. My dad worked in factory shops. My mother was a street vendor. Um, and so success for me was breaking out of that blueprint. Success for me was, at the very least, going to university. And when I was there and I arrived, I was like, oh, okay, no, success has to change now. So success for me now is actually not just ending at a bachelor's degree, maybe success is getting an honors degree as well. And so the scope of what you view as success changes as you arrive at the places that you never thought that people like you can be. And so you almost get to a point where you're like, so I have, I have, I've everything that I've, I've wanted to do, kind of done already. And that's where I think the special moment of transitioning from success to significance actually happens. When you realize that actually there's no end goal, you can live your life um, chasing your own achievements and you'll always find the next thing you need to break through. Or you can change the, the frame altogether and think about living your life for the significance of others. Yeah. Interesting. Earlier you mentioned something that was uh, fascinating about the fact that your engagement with a client is not only on the day you're on stage, which speaks to, I guess, a prolonged process, mm. but also, I guess, there's multiple people involved before you get on stage. Yeah. And uh, that got me thinking as to success. What other factors contributed to your success? Mm. I'm sure there's many other people. You mentioned somebody earlier that asked you some difficult questions. Yeah. Perhaps uh, there might be other factors. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of them are God-given. Right. So I, and I can't uh, claim those as my own. So I think um, I was really blessed to be born into a family um, where my mother was she was a bull in a china shop. Nothing is impossible uh, was was the way she viewed the world. Um, and I remember I'll tell you a quick story. I remember when I was um, taking up the job in television and I was leaving a, a very a uh, very good trajectory job in corporate and I was so scared to tell her so I thought oh let me let me crack a joke and then just sort of break the ice and then then she will sort of be more open to this big jump that I was about to make so I said to her oh by the way I got a new job and she says what are you doing so I said oh I'm, they've asked me to go park airplanes at the airport and her response was when do you start and I just remember thinking my goodness gracious if she thinks that I can do that why on earth do I have self-limiting beliefs about what I can do? And so my mother's influence on my life was so great in really making me just see obstacles and hurdles as things to be overcome and to actually run towards them to, so that I can really make those breakthroughs. By the way, my mom at 48 decided to go back to school and uh, actually ended up with a teaching um, degree by the age of 54. So... 
you know, that's the kind of person that raised me. So that's God given. Other things along the way, I think have been really fantastic opportunities. Um, I got to go to eventually really good schools through the goodwill of other people. Um, I, I, I got scholarships, so I was able to also study abroad. Um, I stumbled on Toastmasters, which was life changing for me because it gave me the backbone of my speaking ability and capability, which I take into every single space uh, that I work in right now. And in one of my early jobs, I, I worked at the presidency at the union buildings for the deputy president, uh, Dr. Mlambo Muka. And what that did for me is that it gave me a network of people who cared about my success and cared about my trajectory. And that too was an ingredient. So it wasn't all about me and my, my intelligence and my capability. There was the environment, there was the, the mentors and the coaching formally and informally. There was goodwill of people just giving me things that I didn't deserve, people trusting me when I didn't need it to be trusted. But more importantly, sometimes people even just putting out risk capital for me, saying, vouching for me even before I deserved that moment of them vouching for me. And all of these elements put together, including God-given talent, I think have been part of the recipe that has led me to where I am right now. Speaking of God-given talents, you tell wonderful stories. Uh, what do you think makes a good story? Mm, I think a good story must have a promise in it. So um, people want to, people lean into stories when they have a, a an anticipation that something good's gonna come out of this. It's oftentimes also, I think, the um, provocation that makes them think about what can I do to bring about that good? Professional storytellers and writers will call it a plot. I'll call it a provocation. Something's going to be wrong, right? Um, something needs to be done. Something needs to be urgent. Something demands an action. And I think good stories um, are a combination of people responding to those moments. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of poetry. So um, I wasn't big on poetry till I met my husband, uh, who is. And one of the poets he introduced me to was David White. Um, and Dave, my favorite poem now is called Sometimes by David White. And David White says, sometimes um, you are confronted in your life by questions that have no right to go away. Um, questions that have been patiently waiting for you. And I think that's what good stories are all about. It is that provocation of a question. It's that thing that needs to be done that's patiently waiting for all of us to respond, to engage, to lean in with the promise that in answering that question, something better is going to emerge. Yeah, that's so interesting. It sounds like it brings a lot of hope as well. Mm. Um, but I wonder, you bring a lot of hope with your work as well, uh, from podium to podium, from a, a video conference to another video conference. Mm. What has been your best storytelling moment to this end? Sure. Um, so I'm a big believer in storytelling and story listening, right? So I'm going to tell you, maybe share uh, both perspectives, because I do think uh, one of my core beliefs is that the best conversations are listened into existence rather than being spoken. And so I think the probably a story that where I was part of telling the story that was really, really special. Um, and maybe I'll reference the MasterCard Foundation because you mentioned them. I remember I was in Rwanda. It was right at the back of um, uh, Black Panther had been just released. And a couple of months later, um, the MasterCard Foundation was uh, in Rwanda. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to pivot their strategy away from um, uh, funding 
um, I think a range of other projects towards funding young entrepreneurs. And so they came in and they said, Nozi, help us think about how do we have this conversation and how do we, how do we get young people ignited and excited about being entrepreneurs? And how do we launch this in Rwanda with President Kagame, who's going to be the best champion for this? And I, and we had this amazing, really robust, um, uh, conversation on stage with these people that are not half my age, but relatively younger to, younger than me. And I've never felt such a sense of safety about the continent and really feeling like we're in such good hands because the, the generations after us are on fire. They've got, um, the, they've got not only the consciousness about um, what's just and how things should be. They've got tools. Many of them have access to resources. Of course, not all of them. Um, and it was really special being part of that storytelling moment. And I think the story listening moment for me came in that very conversation where one of the young, uh, young uh, panelists said, he said, there's nothing that's more frustrating than listening to um, um, all of this sort of like country to country bragging about, oh, it takes four hours to start a business in South Africa, or you go to Rwanda and they're like, we've got a one-stop shop and you can start a business in six hours. All you need to do is register online and so on. And he says, you know, as a result, the risk that we're running is that we're going to have a lot of young Africans who are the CEO of this and the CEO of that and no businesses to show. So he said, we're competing for the wrong things. It's not about how quick it is to set up a business. It's about enabling business. It's about access to finance. It's about um, deregulizing so that young people can really get started with their businesses. And I remember just feeling so schooled um, in that moment and thought, that's a really special a story listening moment, watching this young boy saying, I don't care about being the CEO of three or four businesses. I want one business that works, that has market access, that can go regional and that can take, that can go into the world. And if these conversations get us there, then I'm for that. And I loved it. Yeah, that's true. Because sometimes we get stuck in uh, the metrics and the numbers yeah. and all that, and we lose sight of what's really important, right? Yeah. Changing people's lives, the sense of significance you mentioned earlier yeah. as well. Uh, whilst I'm at it, what would uh, success look like in the future? Imagine five years from now, I don't know what your plans might be. <laughs> it always feels really scary now talking in five-year terms with uh, <laughs> the pace of change and how rapid it is. Um, I don't know what I'll be doing five years from now. What I hope that I'm doing is that um, I am normalizing conversation strategy um, as a profession. Um, I'm hoping that it's conversation strategy is making its way into the prospectus yeah. uh, at tax and it's a real pathway for people to follow um, and, and um, to study. Um, I, I'm also hoping that I'm normalizing um, African women on global stages. My end goal, uh, if I can put it like that, is to go back to public service. I want to serve my country. Um, and I think I'm in the process of building right now in preparation for that. Um, it's about building this profession. It's about building credibility. Um, it's about building a global network. But ultimately, I think the, the ultimate significance is service. And that's what I want to end up doing. It might not be in the next five years, but that's definitely with what the end goal is. Yeah, indeed. That's the true essence, the heartbeat of a leader, they truly do serve their people. Mm -hmm. I guess my last question is around the University of Pretoria. You're back at your alma mater now. I wonder what about the University of Pretoria helped you to succeed? 
I think many things, I think I learned here more than anywhere else, was the power of your own agency. Um, I left home in Peter Maritzburg in KZN and um, I chose to study here um, simply because it was, one, it wasn't in KZN. I needed to get away. I, I was, I come from a very small, strict family and I was like, I need to spread my wings. So I applied here for that. But also um, there was this um, program at the time that said, um, when you apply for every A that you get, if I remember the numbers correctly, you get 7,000 Rand discounted off your fees. And then I applied for NSFAS. And then when you're in NSFAS as well, uh, which is the National Student Financial Aid Scheme, for every A that you got, they would take, they would take that part of the loan and that discount it uh, into a bursary. And so it seems like a small thing, but it was such a fundamental shift in my world about how I am responsible for how my life turns out and my agency, how I show up in my lecture halls, in my, in my studies, determines what, um, firstly, the burden that my family has to carry. And I told you my mother was a street vendor, my father was a factory uh, shop worker. Um, I could alleviate my poor family from having to pay for me by just exercising my agency and being independent about um, choosing that I'm going to do this and I'm, gonna, and I'm going to get it right. Um, and so I remember that when I left tax, um, many us of us who studied here on NSFAS would probably have left with this massive um, loan that you suddenly have to pay back. And I remember I left with like owing 17,000 Rand after uh, spending four years here only. Um, and that's because the university just said to me, here's the challenge. It's up to you. If you, want to, uh, if you want to get through this without a, a financial burden on you and your family at the end of it, you can. And it was, it was a, a lesson that I lived for four years, but I think it's one of the biggest lessons in my life. I am capable. If I want something to happen, I can make it happen. It depends on me. It starts with me. I can reach out to other people. I can get support from other people, but I'm the fire and I've got to keep that flame burning. Other people can flame my fire, but they can't, they can't be the ignition for me. And I'll never forget that four-year experience, and I carry it with me every single day. Incredible. Well, you have carried it with you because uh, I can enjoy, I certainly would speak with you all day if I could, uh, just hearing your stories, which have truly been insightful. But uh, from the bottom of my heart and from the University of Pretoria side, we wish you all in your future endeavors. And uh, thank you for joining us today on the Lead UV podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It feels super special to be here, uh, to be having this conversation. Never in a million years would I have imagined first set foot on campus in 2003, that 19 years later that I would be here having this conversation. So thank you. Incredible. That does bring us to the end of the conversation around significance, excellence, and just being able to listen to tell better stories. And uh, this podcast is proudly brought to you by the University of Pretoria's Alumni Relations Office. You can find out more by going to www.up.ac.za forward slash leadup or wherever you find your podcasts. This season, we are releasing our podcast every last Monday of the month. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the University of Pretoria's Alumni Relations Office. And my name is Lennox Wasara. It's been great to host you. And our production team includes Samantha Castle, Arno Schutz and our sound engineers are Louis Kluter Productions. To meet again, it's nothing but love and light. Stay fantastic. Mm -hmm.